Okay. Hi, everyone. And welcome to this week's episode. This week, I don't know. Just welcome to the next episode of Discuss with DG. My name is Danielle Green and I'm the host. Uh, today I'm talking with um, an Instagram friend that I made. Um, her name is Brittany Bazil. But Bazil. Bazil. Yeah. Bazil. See, I don't even know. This is this. Okay. <laughs> no, Anyways. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, uh, Brittany has an Instagram account called a little Brit of fun, and I'm not even sure how I came across your Instagram, but I've been following for, I don't know, probably almost two years now. And I just, I get so much out of it. And so wanted to have her on the show to talk about just how she developed, I guess, her Instagram content and everything, um, that she's doing these days. So Brittany, I will let you take it away now. All right. Hi, I'm Brittany. Um, I never have bios or intros, so I'm friendly black hottie. Gonna steal from meme girls. That'll be that'll be my intro. And like my Instagram bio says, mostly panic, very little disco. That's 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 me. I love that so much. So uh, right before we started recording, I mentioned that I saw that you kind of started like as a food blog, foodie blog, Instagram, and have morphed into like, I feel like just education about social justice and um, a lot of different things. So I'd love to kind of just hear how you got started and how you evolved to where you're at today. Yeah, so I got on Instagram in like 2013, 2014. Um, in 2015 is when I started actively like, try. I don't know what I was trying to do, but I was just like, let me try and take this a little bit more seriously. Um, I was married at the time and he is in the military. And so we were moving from San Antonio to El Paso. Mm. I was kind of like on Instagram and there was nothing there was like no real San Antonio like lifestyle things to do accounts or blogs that I found there were like a couple fashion girls there was El Paso Eats who I know and love and is a wonderful person but it was very focused on like food and nothing that was like sort of an in-between space so I was like, well, let me take up blogging again and try this like Instagram component of it um, because I've had blogs forever. I had a Tumblr back in the heyday of Tumblr that had like 50,000 followers. I've had a live journal. I've had Zanga. Like I had a blogger, Blogspot. Like I've had, yeah, I've had blogs. Like blogs are not new to me. It's just, I am a person that like when I'm bored of something, I just am bored of it. Like I've had Twitter accounts that had a couple thousand followers back when Twitter was kind of early and it was semi hard to do that. And like, I just woke up one day, I was like, I don't want this anymore. (laughs) I just delete. This is like my MO. So I figured I'd try that again. And that's basically what I did. Like I moved to El Paso. I tell people that it was like, um, Cause I grew my following a lot. Like when I moved to El Paso, I think I had like 1300 followers. And by the time I moved back to Austin in like 2019, was that what I moved? yeah. Um, I had like 13,000. Wow. Oh, so I grew that following, but I think it was a combination of a lot of things. And I actually have a blog post for my blog, a little bit of fun.com that explains like all the stuff I did in the very beginning to try and grow. 
And I tell people like, (laughs) I don't know where we're going to go with this conversation, but I tell people like, you need to really look at these large accounts because they really benefited from a sweet spot of like, for example, I was able to use Archie. Archie was a bot that would like go like post for me. It would comment for me if I wanted, but I didn't like that because those were so fake, but I would get it. It was, I just like had a list of hashtags and I would let it go like post. And like, that was great. And I was like, okay, this is awesome. I love this. So I used Archie for like my first 3000 followers. Once you start to get to like 5,000, it became easier. Like Instagram would show you to more people. And I was feeling like a need sort of in El Paso. And I was kind of connecting with people like Christine El Paso Beats. And so like people started really seeing what I was doing. I was making the weekly fun list of like, here's where you should go this weekend. And so I was able to grow, but I tell people like Archie was probably the last well-known I'm using air quotes. You can't see me, but well-known bot that people were able to get away from or get away with. Before that, there was something called Instagress. And most of these huge, huge bloggers that were on Instagram early days, transitioned from like their blog following into like Instagram influencers benefited from Instagress. And Instagress is kind of like, well, got everything shut down (laughs) because once Instagram discovered it, they were like, no, y'all can't be doing this. But it was like the girls were doing follow and follow, which I have tried. I have it in the blog post. It's, it makes you feel terrible if you have any kind of morals and ethics about this. Um, But it's effective. You will grow. You will grow. Um, But Instagram would do follow and follow. Instagram would do comments for you. You could tell Instagram a set of hashtags to interact with, and it would just go all day long and like those photos. And so what typically happens is someone sees like, oh, this person liked my photos. They take cool pictures. They're in my city. And then they go follow you. So (laughs) many of the large accounts did that. And I'll tell you, I've taken two well-known Instagram courses because I was really committed to it. And like, I'm a five, I'm a Capricorn, I'm going to study, like, I want to know things. Mm -hmm. And in both those courses, the main takeaway from one was let, let me put you in a comment pod and we'll all comment on each other's stuff. And then the main takeaway from the other was hire a virtual assistant off one of these websites and pay them to interact with hashtags and things like that. So you don't have to. (laughs) I am baffled, blown away. Yeah. So like that's some of, that's some of the secrets. Um, so like I said, I used, I was doing all kinds of stuff and I've been very open about it. I am happy to like share the link to that post. If you want to put it with this. Yeah. like I used a lot of that stuff. And then once I hit about 5,000 followers, it became more organic. And I just, I stopped using Archie. I stopped trying follow and follow. And I was just like, okay, if I grow, I grow. And I was just providing sort of a service to El Paso. Mm -hmm. We were like doing our own thing and making connections. We had this little group of like me and two other bloggers and we were just like having meetups and stuff. And so that's kind of how I grew And I was doing sponsored content here and there, never as much as like full-time influencers. I am, I like having a full-time steady eight to five job. I like being salaried. I like Mm -hmm. holidays. Like I don't, I like structure. So I never was going to jump into this full-time, but I was just doing stuff here and there. And I 
what really sort of shifted for me is I was sort of um, starting to dip my toes into like, I feel like I want to talk about stuff that's more important to me. Mm. What really like pushed me over the edge is I had two um, back-to-back sponsored posts. And one, it was just like a wine company that was so, so, so demanding. And it did not equate to what they were paying me. And I was annoyed. And then two, some a company that reached out and was like, well, we see that you, we scrolled through your feed and there's a picture of your friend in a fuck Trump shirt. <laughs> and wondered if you could archive this, if we were to work with you. And I said, no. <laughs> so that was really when I was like, okay, I'm done doing the influencer thing. So that was towards the end of my time in El Paso. And I was still like having meetups with people, still like taking cocktail photos and like doing EP fun list and things like that. But I was just like, I'm not doing the sponsored content side of it because I don't, whether people want to admit it or not, you have to change parts of who you are and what you believe in to do sponsored content. It just is what it is. And the thing is, that's not me saying judgment. I change parts of who I am to fit working in an office when we're in offices. Like if if it's your job, that's what you do. You don't go to your job wild and out. But like my social media, I wanted to be free. So I was like, I'm, I'm not really into this influencer thing. And then when I moved to Austin in April, 2019, yes. I basically said, I'm tired of like having all these followers. (laughs) So like at that point I had like 13 point something. And I was just like, I don't like this. Now looking back, I'm annoyed that I did this because swipe up is really helpful for everything I do now. But I basically used the cleaner app, which I don't even think Instagram lets you use anymore, but that app was great. And you could basically go in and see like, who's an inactive follower, like, and you could set like parameters. So this person hasn't logged in in a year. This person hasn't interacted with any of your content, your stories. They haven't commented. They haven't liked anything in 60 days, et cetera. But then you could also just be like, you can block and unblock person and you could set it people. So you could set it in a queue. So I basically went in and over like two months, I had a queue because you have to be strategic with it. And they tell you limits because if not, Instagram is like the a person cannot do this. Mm-hmm. So I went in and I had a queue going daily and it was removing like 20 to 50 people every day. And I just blocked and unblocked. So you block them. So they no longer are following. And then you unblock. So they're not actually blocked because you don't need unblock. Now you can just go in and remove people. But when you need mass removal, that was the easiest way to do it. And so I did that. And I went from like 13 point whatever down to like 7,000. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And then I got annoyed again and went down to like 3,500. <laughs> and at that point, <laughs> I was like, okay, I like this. This seems like a sweet spot again. Looking back, swipe up is great. So I really should have tried to keep it at like 10K, but it is what it is. And maybe I'll get there again soon. And at that point, I was just like, this is my space. And so I had really sort of, as I was doing all that, as I was sort of ending my time in El Paso, I got to a point where I was just like, I create content on this platform for myself. And if people rock with it, that's great. If they don't, I don't care. Like I'm not catering content to people. I'm not asking people what they want unless it's like between choices that I 
want to do and I just want an opinion. I just, I don't, I can't be concerned with what followers want because you'll literally lose your mind. <laughs> well, not right. literally, but you will lose your mind. So I started doing that. I started just talking about things that were important to me and it's like, it sort of morphed from there. And then people found me and people were like, oh, I like this. And here we are. <laughs> that is just so amazing because I have to tell you, I have such a volatile relationship with Instagram. I'm on like my seventh account because I tend to get to these points where I dislike it so much because of who I feel like I have to be. Mm -hmm. And so just hearing on the other side, you know, someone as someone who has invested time and energy into, you know, being an influencer, if you will, mm -hmm. it's just, it's really interesting to hear. Um, something I, something that you said was, you know, you got tired of having so many followers. I'd love it if you could like talk about that like when you say you got tired of it like what does that mean to you so this is another thing and like <laughs> I feel like it might trigger people which I don't mean it to but like I always say if something triggers you and you get defensive you need to sit in that feeling because there's some truth in there um but I'll give you an example with like why I got tired on Instagram why I got rid of a Twitter that had a couple thousand and then why I deleted the Tumblr that had a ton of people you start to become a caricature of yourself and you start to put on performances for people. And I'll give you an example of someone who is beloved and I think she gets more hate than she deserves, but a lot of it is valid. Chrissy Teigen is a perfect example of that too. I followed her when she, like early days of Twitter and I watched her turn into what she thought people wanted from her because as she got more followers, she was seeing what was bringing followers in and she really changed who she was at least online to fit what people wanted. And it turned off a lot of people. And I think she hit a, she's now hit a moment where she realizes like it wasn't true to herself either. And that's why she left the platform. But that's kind of like where I was with Instagram and where I've been with other sort of platforms and why I get rid of them. And I think one of the reasons why I, I'm able to stick with like my blog now and Instagram and still love it and enjoy it is like, I'm very cognizant of that now. So I don't put on any kind of show for people because I'm not catering anything to people. I do not care if people follow me. I do not care if they unfollow me. I do not care if they are upset by what I say, et cetera. So because I have done that in the past and I've sort of sat with that and seen what that looks like, I'm very, very, very aware of it and not wanting to do it. So one of the reasons why I was like, I don't, I'm not feeling like these followers is because I was like, okay, I built this brand, so to speak, this platform really based off like influencing and drinking and like going out and like events and things like that, that doesn't align with me anymore. And I don't want to feel like I'm tied to these followers because they want that kind of content. And I don't want to feel like, oh, should, should I throw in a drink pick here and there? Should I do this, this, and this? So it was really a way of like checking in with myself, then almost hitting a reset button and then being like, okay, people will make their way back if they're into it. Um, new people will find me and I'll be very sort of true 
to what I want to do on here. So it was really like a refresh and a reset, but I also just, I knew what having a lot of followers can do to you. And I think the difference will be, especially if I'm able to like grow again and get to a point where like I get a larger following again, I'm very, very cognizant of it now. I also have had multiple years now in a space where I'm not influencing, I'm not performing for people. I literally (laughs) use this platform in whatever way I want. Like you might get a whole day where I talk to you about Riverdale and then the next day you might get nothing but just like social justice. And it's like, I do that because that's what I feel like putting out and people can take or leave it. So that's been sort of helpful. (laughs) Should I grow again? But that was really like why I got rid of people. I was just like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the business and I'm not interested in like putting on a performance for people anymore. And I feel like if you are going to have a larger following on a platform, that is essentially what you were doing. And I think one of the things I like about a thing, a platform like TikTok is like, there's no qualms about that. Everyone knows that's what you're doing. Like you're in this video, you are like, you're performing for the people and people have no shame in being like, okay, what works? What doesn't? Oh, everyone's doing this. Let me do this. And they're very upfront about it. And they try and put their spins on it. And some stuff is really unique, but it all feels fresh. And like, Instagram is that way, but it's all behind the scenes and people are all trying to pretend like they're not doing it (laughs) when they are. (laughs) And I got tired of pretending. (laughs) It's probably the easiest way (laughs) to sum all that up. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that last piece because I think that's what drives me crazy about Instagram. It's like, okay, cool. Like you're going to, you know, you're going to be an influencer. You're going to do the sponsored content, whatever. That's fine. But yeah, it's like this people try to hide all of the work that is going like into producing this content. And I'm just like, I, yeah, I just wish somebody just be honest. Like, yeah, I mean, say that's, it. that's all that people really are looking for. And I, I think especially if you're in a space where you are selling to people constantly, you there has to be some integrity there. And this isn't to say that anyone who's in an influencer space doesn't have any, but it's sort of clear when you run on someone who's like, you know, the last 15 postural ads and they're selling me everything from toilet paper to skincare and they love it all and it's all the best they've ever had and it's like no <laughs> that's not true <laughs> oh my gosh every time I see somebody especially like no offense to any mommy bloggers that may or may not ever listen to this podcast but like when they're like oh this cleaning product I don't know what I did before I found this <laughs> counter cleaning stuff and I'm just like okay I understand that people are trying to like weave these products into their normal lives however when you say the same thing essentially Mm -hmm. about every single product that you are posting on your Instagram I'm really starting to wonder yeah like (laughs) okay and I I think people are just getting smarter about it too I think 
influencers really hit a sweet spot with Instagram <laughs> and like millennials and just like, it really spoke to us. And I think one of the reasons you're, you're seeing things like TikTok sort of take off is like the younger generations, like they're not with the shits. Like they don't, they don't want a bunch of fake stuff in their face. It's like, if you're going to sell me an ad, be straightforward with me, be like, this is an ad. <laughs> that I'm using to like pay my bills and it's for the stuff that I love. And I, you know, I want you to use it to the end, not like burying ad in a bunch of hashtags. So no one sees and using a bunch of marketing copy as a caption. And then assuming that we're all too stupid to figure out that you're selling me something. Exactly. I'm like, okay, well, when everyone's captions, like every influencer's captions sound the same, mm -hmm. like we're going to figure it out. But I mean, like, obviously the fact that like influencing is even a thing right now, like we've all caught on, we all know yeah. what's happening. So like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a thing, like it's a word, isn't it? Like in the dictionary <laughs> yeah, now, you it know, is. so we are so far beyond like nobody being able to pick up on what's happening here. Yeah. So it's just, it's, I don't know. I find it to be very fascinating. Just, I think it's, it's interesting because like, I think they provide a service and like back, you know, before the Panasonic, when we could go places, it was like, I really utilize them. You know what I mean? Like you find some, you find who the people are in the city, you look at their places to go, things like that. But I think we've sort of almost hit a point where it's like, people do the opposite. Like I have talked to people that are like, yeah, if I see a bunch of influencers went to a place, I avoid it. <laughs> and like, so I don't, they provide a service and I appreciate it in a lot of ways, but it's, there's very little authenticity to it anymore. And, you know, that is what it is. What is authenticity on the internet? <laughs> but you, you want something from people, something that feels real. And like, for me, I, I respect the people that lean into the over the top fakeness, because at least like, I know you're not trying to be relatable, like skinny, confidential Lauren Everts Bostick is a perfect example of that. Like she is essentially a Barbie. Like we literally have been in lockdown and she's been in private, you know, residence to private residence on private planes. She, I don't know what 2020 was for her because it was not the same as it was for the rest of us. And that is fine because that is, that's her. And she's not trying to be relatable. She's not trying to make you feel good. She doesn't care how you feel about her opinion on anything. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and she literally put up a whole post that was so thoughtless and completely just about her and like nonsense and, and like bodies and looking good. And people were like, Hey, so this happened, you know, 20 minutes ago. And she was like, cool. Well, I don't like these comments going to shut down this Facebook group. Like she's not, she's not concerned, but like, I know where I stand with people like that. You know what I mean? Versus your everyday person who probably feels like that and is 
presenting a persona similar to that, but is still trying to trick me into thinking we're relatable and it's, or we're the same, or we have access to the same things. And it's like, we don't. And I wish that more of them would just move to that side of things. Cause I'd respect it more. Okay. I, I completely agree with that. trying to straddle the fence and that's where the disconnect is with people that follow them. I either just need you to be a real, genuine, authentic, relatable human being, which you don't have to try that hard when you are, or I want you to be Barbie. And like, that's it. I don't try and be both. Completely agree. I totally 100% agree with that because I do feel like I don't, I mean, I guess I like follow influencers, but probably I, I try to steer clear of, I don't know, just white women influencers in general so but I agree like if I do follow them they are completely themselves they are just they are who they are they're doing it and sometimes they do respect it uh so something I'd like to ask you about is as someone with a platform on Instagram can you talk me through what it's been like for you over the last year because I just feel like with, you know, the pandemic and with um, the Black Lives Matter movement really coming to the forefront, I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of like how social media has shifted in the last year, if you think it has. Um, so yeah, I do think it has. Um, I think that everyone's sort of being forced to be at home in a really unprecedented set of times that lasted so much longer than people expected. And then we're all sort of going through these collective set of emotions at the same time. We might not all be experiencing the same thing, but I'd say there are probably three to five emotions that at any given moment, many of us were experiencing together. Um, So I think a lot of people turn to social media. This is why I think the George Floyd situation was amplified so much because it was like a peak point of people really following social media, really having been at home for like, what, three months at that point, sort of having nothing else to focus on and feeling like they were just looking for, for lack of a better word, entertainment. And like this sort of satiated them. Um, I have a lot of complex feelings around everything that came from George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and all of that. Um, Because I am a person who has been very vocal for years about social issues, not just Black Lives Matter, talking about trans issues, talking about classism, talking about people experiencing homelessness, talking about all kinds of things, calling out things that Barack Obama did that don't align with the like what he was trying to present to us. Like we're really talking about things that people don't like. I am a person that's had like people unfollow me and tell me it's because I make them feel bad because I talk about these kinds of things. I had a black influencer who is fairly large now, thanks to the summer and making an IGTV that like a bunch of white influencers picked up on and loved. And so she grew, um, but a black influencer that I no longer follow, like I removed her as a follower and stopped following her, but basically tell me that like social justice was my quote niche. And that's why I could speak about it more. And she felt like she couldn't, but then this summer, she all of a sudden turned into an activist and was able to gain like 10,000 followers from it. 
Um, so, which, which just to, to circle back on that, like social justice is not a niche. Um, my Instagram account is an extension of me and I am a person who cares about other people. So that is just a side note. Um, so part of, part of the complex feelings I have about this summer is many of us were already doing this work. Um, and I say work loosely because like me getting online and like talking to people and sharing resources and educating people is something I want to do because it's where I feel like I can best serve the movements I'm trying to work with. Like I'm not good with crowds of people. I've done marches. It gives me too much anxiety. I know where my strengths are. So I know I can do monetary support and I know I can take some burdens off people's backs and educate folks and use my platform. But like many of us were doing this work and this summer what happened is many white influencers, since we're specifically talking about Instagram here, but many white women influencers were seeking out palatable black people to push to their audiences. And so they were finding black folks that were talking about social justice or that were, you know, doing the influencing thing and occasionally like mentioning it in the summer because it was, you know, a hot topic, quote unquote. And they were finding the ones that weren't too controversial and they were pushing those people to the forefront of their audience. And I, I watched it happen. And that is interesting to me <laughs> um, because if you were trying to learn and unlearn and grow and advocate and be an ally, you should be uncomfortable. And I say this as someone who has sat and unpacked my classes and elitist feelings, who has unpacked my anti-fat feelings, who has unpacked some xenophobia I had, all kinds of things. That is not a, a comfortable thing. You, you shouldn't be confronted with your biases and feel good. And I watched the summer as all the people who wrapped anti-Blackness and racism into these pretty easily easy to swallow bows <laughs> got sort of pushed to the forefront on social media as the voices of those movements. When many people have been doing the work on Instagram longer than I have, I had been doing it for years, people like me have been doing it for years in a really intersectional way, if you ask me. And it was just like, oh no, no, but this, this person, this fashion blogger made this IGTV <laughs> because everyone was talking about this and now we're gonna share it far and wide. So that was interesting to see. Um, it was interesting for a number of reasons, but at the end of the day, the, the last thing that I'm going to do is knock a hustle, but I need people to know some of it was a hustle mm. <laughs> and people can feel however they want to feel about it, but it is what it is. Um, I don't think that many people did anything past that black square. Um, <laughs> I think many people were just counting down the days to when they could get back to their quote regularly scheduled content. I don't know what came from it. Um, <laughs> to be quite honest, I, I don't feel that folks really learned anything from it. Um, Anti-Blackness is along with white supremacy is woven into the fabric of the United States of America. So 
a summer of justice, so to speak, is not going to do much if folks aren't really willing to confront it. And like I said, I don't feel like they were confronting it. They want to feel good. I often have people tell me like they're surprised that I don't have more followers. And I almost always reply with it's because like, I don't, I don't make people feel warm and fuzzy. I'm not going to coddle you through your education. And people don't like that. Like I, it's not my job to make you feel good about being anti-Black, being transphobic, being homophobic, et cetera. I'm giving you the tools to like do some deep thought. I'm saying some things that like probably make you not feel great. And you need to sit with that discomfort because that's where the growth is. But people don't want that. Yeah. So, and I think that was probably my biggest takeaway from the summer. It's like performative activism was everywhere. Performative allyship was everywhere. People were putting on big shows and benefiting from it. And that shit was disgusting <laughs> to see, to be quite honest. Right. Absolutely. It, yeah, it was just definitely interesting to see just the way that every like activism just kind of exploded Mm -hmm. over the last year. Um, And I'm interested to see, you know, once, I mean, I guess for some people, like the world has not been shut down, which is fine. Um, But, you know, like once (laughs) things are a little bit more quote unquote normal, I'm interested to see like how this space evolves. Like, is it just going to go back to the way it was before, before the pandemic and before they didn't like stay at home working you know what I mean I'm just interested to see like if the space will continue to evolve and people will continue to speak up and by people I mean white people because yeah you know like well (laughs) (laughs) I I mean to be I'm many of them have stopped I think they feel I don't I don't know how they feel (laughs) yeah I, I imagine many of them feel like they're sort of on the spot, but I, I don't know what to tell you. Like privilege is an interesting thing. We all have it. We all benefit from it. Even if your only privilege is that you're breathing air on the planet, um, that's a privilege. And I think many people are not able to sort of confront that. And I think many people have in their mindset, as far as like social justice, it's already gone back to you know, where we were pre-Pantene Pro-B, but I don't know. I don't expect much from people. <laughs> and yeah. I also, a lot of people were like, all right, so we did the Black thing this summer, so we're good to go. <laughs> like, we don't have to do anything else. <laughs> like, we took care of that. We checked that box, so we've checked our social justice box for at least a good, you know, 18 months. So, so we're solid. And like, that's not really how it works. Um, right. You know, we're intersectional with our activism. So we'll see. I would love to see some allies actually stand up and, you know, be allies, but we'll see. We shall see. Um, so kind of maybe along these lines, I'm curious, what has your experience in the Instagram, Instagram realm been as a black woman? Um, it's been 
fine. <laughs> I don't know. So here's the here's what people need to know if you don't know what I look like. I am thin. I am conventionally attractive. I look good. Just we're just gonna say it. We love ourselves. Um, I'm light-skinned. I am to some people racially ambiguous. So I get to sort of those are all privileges. So I don't have the same experience as a darker skinned black woman or a fat black woman, which by the way, I say fat. If you don't know why words like overweight and obese are bad, Google is an excellent resource. Um, but I don't have the same, you know, I'm not navigating through the space in the same way as, as those women. Um, I will tell you, I have interesting interactions with white women sometimes in the same way that I think all, I don't want to say all women of color, but I'd say maybe Latinas and Black women and, you know, maybe other people, but it's just this, um, this power dynamic that I think sometimes that white women have when they're, when they're talking to Black women. And they oftentimes feel as if they're just coming in to engage or to provide some information, but there's always this underlying assumption of like, I don't know what I'm talking about, or they need to help guide me, correct me, or I'm not being civil because I'm shutting down whatever their victimhood has brought them in to say, et cetera. And even on top of that, that I owe them civility and niceness for whatever reason. Um, these are things that I imagine if you're listening to this and you're white, you're, you're probably defensive now. And if you're not white, you're nodding your head and going, yep, <laughs> because that's, that's often what it's like talking to white women. Um, and I think there is a lot of that on Instagram. I get it in DMs. Occasionally I get it in a comment, just, just interesting things like that. Like I, I, shared like a post of something from ASOS and this woman came into my DMs to be like, well, I, I'm not sure if you know, but like, this is not an ethical brand, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I sat with it. And then like, I shared the message. I never put people's like name and face unless it's like my friend and we're like doing something funny. But like when I'm doing like an educational, like this is don't talk, like you don't do this, like a Rachel Cargo. <laughs> Like, yeah. He likes to break down, like, here's why these are wrong. I, I don't, I'm not trying to call people out, but it was basically like, a, would you slide into the DMs of a white influencer and do this? There's a lot of that. And the woman ended up coming back after like, I had a whole day of like, going back and forth and like sharing messages and stuff. And she was like, you're right. I'm sorry. And like, apologize. But it's just like, there's this expectation that I feel like white people have when it comes to black, indigenous, other people of color, that we almost have to, we're expected to go above and beyond in anything we do. We have to prove that we know something or prove that we're worthy. And they weaponize that in a lot of different ways. And it's harmful. And I just, I don't think that non-white people like I don't think that white influencers experience Instagram in that same way I'm sure they get their share of like stupid ass messages because people are people but like I don't 
think the insidious nature, the passive aggressiveness, the assumptions, the talking down to the victimhood, I don't think they get that in the way that specifically Black women do on platforms from white women. I mean, white women are are great. (laughs) They cause a lot of harm to Black women specifically. And I think they need to sit and and unpack that a little bit. That's, oh man. I mean, there's, there's so much there. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, because I think these are things that people need to hear, you know, um, like I'm only one voice and I've definitely had conversations where I've said these things, but I feel like people need to hear a conversation between two black women. I'm like, I'm not making it up people. Mm -hmm. I'm serious. Yeah. Real. Like (laughs) that, like this really does happen, you know? So something that I do want to share, I get not that I'm not an influencer by any means. And I do not think of myself as one, but you know, I do, I feel like I use my, like my Instagram to like share information, to try to share educational pieces that I'm learning. And, you know, sometimes I get, I get questions from particularly white women asking, I don't, I'm not sure that I understand. Can you like clarify what this means? And, you know, because it's, because these are people that I do know, I hesitate not engaging and answering, but a lot of times it's really exhausting. It's really exhausting (laughs) for someone to be like, can you unpack this? And I'm like, oh, no. What's interesting to me about that is, and I don't, I, I wonder if like marginalized groups, um, not even just like other communities of color, like just marginalized like fat people, trans, LGBTQIA+. I wonder if because we are so used to being expected to unpack stuff like that, like that kind like doing that to someone would never cross our mind because like I follow a lot of people that do educational work. It would never and has never crossed my mind to ask them to unpack something <laughs> for me to ask them to explain something to me because, you know, I feel attacked or triggered or I don't get it. I literally take the info that they're usually giving me about their experiences or like something they feel strongly about and I go do research. Right. And in my experience, like you're saying, white women don't do that. Don't do it a lot. They... I'm sure some do, but there, there's often a lot of, I don't understand this. What do you mean by that? Can you unpack this? Um, I'm feeling this way. What does this mean? Or, you know, I, I'm sorry for doing this, this, and this, and I feel guilty about this. And it's like, I don't, I don't want your guilt and your apologies. Cause that's just a burden for me. I also am not gonna, I'm not going to walk you and hold your hand through education when Google exists, like when thousands, if not millions of accounts exist on this platform that are simply just people sharing their experiences, no matter what the experience is. Like if you, if you need a little bit more, go find it. 
And I, I often find that marginalized people are usually their first instinct is to go find it. <laughs> um, and when you're dealing with white people who, depending on intersectionality, can be marginalized in other ways, their whiteness is always at the forefront. And because this society is built on white supremacy, everything is built for them. Sorry, it just, it is in relation to their whiteness. Um, and so I often find that they have sort of an expectation, whether unconscious or not, that someone sort of do some of that work for them. So it's like, oh, you're, you're saying this is racist? Well, I need you to then tell me X, Y, Z and lay this all out and tell me why this is racist. Whereas if I'm looking at someone like a your fat friend on Instagram and she's saying, this is anti-fat, don't do this. I don't need much more from her. <laughs> she, a fat person, has told me something is anti-fat. Sometimes she will provide other examples. Sometimes she just says it. And I say, okay, that this is a person who experiences life differently than I do. I think this probably checks out. I'm going to take them at their word and try and adjust this behavior. Or I say, I might need a little bit more info on this. And I go find that info. <laughs> and I need more white folks to be like that. Like, we don't, we don't owe you trauma. We don't owe you explanation. I don't owe you grace. I don't owe you kindness and civility. I don't owe you anything. If you're committed to doing the work, then I, I need you to start taking people at their word and doing the work. The end. <laughs> that is so good. That's so good. And that's so true. You know, like, I just, I wish, I don't know. I mean, it just is so exhausting to like experience life in a way where you know that people probably like nine times out of 10 are not going to take you at your word. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I mean, people who are educated, people who, like you said, have been doing this work and have studied and gotten degrees and, you know, are experts and yet <laughs> people are not taking them at their word. Yeah. I mean, not to be really inflammatory here. Um, and I don't, I don't mean this in a hateful way either, but white folks are allowed to be mediocre and the rest of us have to be like <laughs> on another level. Um, and social media really amplifies that because algorithms, while they are algorithms are built by people who have biases and the algorithms reward European features, thinness, conventional attractiveness, et cetera. So you have two people doing similar things, taking the same kind of picture, if we're talking about Instagram, doing the same kind of content, experts at whatever it is they do, maybe they're educators, maybe they're just influencers. And nine times out of 10, the white one is to have what 10 20 30 000 more followers than the black one or the latinx one you know what i so it's just that's frustrating um you look at like addison ray and on Fallon and tiktok and like 
can't even do these dances and the actual black creators <laughs> are nowhere to be found and then you see a side by side of like two, two black girls doing it and her and you're like what is this and that's like a prime example and instagram is the same way in many ways like why <laughs> and out who who do you think the algorithm is going to push out to people and who was more, you know, appealing to folks in a society that's built on white supremacy? <laughs> and it seeps into everything. It, it seeps into everything. Social media is not any different. It's true. It's true. And I mean, even just having this conversation, I'm like, oh, I could just throw it all away. Why do I need it? <laughs> But I do learn so much and make and meet great people and make good friends um, like yourself. So I'm happy for it in that regard. But at the same time, it's just like, yeah, I tell, I think people have to make like a personal decision on when it starts to like the good outweighs the bad, et cetera. Um, for me, it's still a useful tool. I can speak to people. I meet people like you, like I have friends on there. I can educate, I can have fun, I can do, you know, a deep dive on national parks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can do what I want, and to me, it's still worth it. But I imagine it gets frustrating, especially if you're heavy into it, like trying to make a living off of it, either as a side hustle or your full-time job, and you're sort of up against these invisible, quote-unquote, to some people, barriers that people probably feel like you're being irrational when you talk about them. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally speaking about black women at this point, you know, speaking about their experiences and folks acting like, Oh no, that's not the case. And that's like, yeah, <laughs> that's what's happening. It's true. Yeah. And I've seen even, you know, like people will put out um, statistics comparing a white influencer versus a black influencer and just like, the weight, like the gap in pay and the gap in followers and, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. And it's just like, like, what more do people need <laughs> to believe yeah. that there are disparities literally no matter where you go. And even yeah. as some, like in something like social media, you know? Yeah. So to kind of like, I guess, wrap this up. First of all, I just want to say thank you because this I've, is so good. And I think people are going to learn a lot from this. Um, because like, as much as we hate to admit it, we are all super plugged into our phones, super plugged Mm -hmm. into Instagram. (laughs) And, you know, I think there are a lot of things that people don't realize do happen to marginalized communities. And, um, so I think this was super great, but something I just do want to touch on is, not only do I follow you because you do so much educational work, but also your deep dives are so much fun because they're always like about things like JFK or Mormon mommy bloggers, or (laughs) I don't know, Taylor Swift. Like it's just, there's so much good there. And like you said, it's just an extension of who you are as a person. Um, And so I really, I just want to hype you up people you need to find her on instagram <laughs> a little brit of fun two t's and brit and she has a blog you have a patreon as well yeah i do so i mean there's just all there's so same, much good all the same name <laughs> lots of on all of it 
lots of engaging um, polls. We love a yes. good poll Friday. Did it today? Yeah, I, like to, I like to keep it a mix of stuff. I'm very intentional in how I run my Instagram. It's very relaxed because it's very true to me. But one of the reasons like I don't like put anything like education or educator in my bio and things like that is because it's like I need it to be very like free flowing and we are not like we don't focus on one thing in our life. Like I don't want someone to sit and watch the news 24 seven or read and only educate themselves. I want you to like watch Summer House and also then I really want y'all to watch Summer House and also then go, you know, read up on what your local politicians are doing. So that's why I like to keep my Instagram page like random. It's like, you know, we'll do a 90s mall deep dive and then we'll get serious on things that we need to be serious about. I think it's fun for people, I hope. <laughs> um, yes, as a follower. It's so much fun. I learned so much. And yeah, I just, I love giving my opinions. I'm like, you know, who knows where this information's going, but I really like uh, answering these polls just to see where I line up against other people. Oh my gosh. Sometimes when you do like the ethical ones or like, like your personal ethics, I'm like, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I'm in like 15%. <laughs> yeah those are always fun <laughs> I'm like I hope she's not looking I don't I I almost never look the times when I look is when it's something absurd like when we did the pen poll like on ink pens I was like who is out here choosing fine point pens and like I wanted to know who but like in general I won't look because I like want people to just feel free to vote like honestly however they want to vote that I do, that I do. And I've just, I've learned to just accept myself for who I am. And <laughs> I was very proud to be part of the uh, Little Spoon group. Oh, I, yes. I was so like, yes. We had a, we had a big showdown on my Instagram stories about big spoons versus little spoons, the silverware, not positions. Oh, yes. Things. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for what clarifying. Do you what is your preference for eating, you know, soup, cereal, whatever, ice cream, big spoon, little spoon? The people on the right side of history chose little spoons. Big spoon people, I don't know. The actual real monsters are the people that said indifferent. They don't have a, a preference. Everyone should have a preference. It's true. It's completely true. I'm like, oh, I definitely prefer little spoons. I mean, big spoons are just so overwhelming. And yes. <laughs> like, I can't put that much food in my mouth at one time. Like, what? Although, I mean, I am married and I think I think he is a big spoon user, but he's also a big person. He's like 6'2". Yeah, you know, so sense. it's like, <laughs> he's got a lot to feed. So I, I'll extend grace. But I was like, oh my gosh, my husband, he is a big spoon person. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. No. Little spoons so, for life. So fun. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a good Thanks conversation. Of course. Yeah, we got we got deep. <laughs> yes. We got deep. And that's that's what this is for. You know? Yeah. To have these kinds of conversations. 
So thank you so much for listening, folks. Uh, be sure to find me on Instagram at Discuss with DG. And until next time.